it's in the name professional boxing. I'll be dead honest. At twenty at eighteen, I wasn't a professional at anything. At twenty one, I wasn't a professional at anything. I've probably took a bit longer than everyone else, but I'm now twenty nine years old. I'm now a professional athlete. I know how yeah. to look after myself, how to look after my body, what it takes, what it don't take. When you, so a lot of these young guys, it takes it's very very rare you get a young young guy that's disciplined enough and knowledgeable enough to be professional. And it's it's all in the word. People think professional boxing. I'm a pro boxer. TV, lights, glam, camera, action. I know different. I've been I've been involved in this game for a long time. I've got good friends that are involved at the top level, so I know the difference between the amateur setup and the. Even at my level now as an amateur, you've got to be a professional. So when people call me an amateur, I almost take it and sort it. I'm a professional. I train three times a day, five times a week, and I travel the world. This is this is my bread and butter. So professional, it's all in the name. And just just want to any young fighters that are going to, are turning professional, you need to look at yourself in the mirror first. Are you a professional? Are you having the late nights? What you're doing on your weekends? Are you willing to sacrifice everything, you know, to achieve your goals? That was Fraser Clark. I am Curtis Mansfield, and this is the Hips and Dips podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. About scheduled for 12 rounds to decide the Hips and Dips podcast champion. Firstly, fighting out the red corner tonight, standing at 175 centimetres tall and weighing in at 174 pounds, with a record of 15 interviews and 15 wins, a man who is almost knocked out in a boxer-sized class. He is the producer, the host, the sound engineer. It is Curtis Glassman Mansfield. And fighting out of the blue corner tonight, standing in at 198 centimetres tall and officially weighing in at 220 pounds, hailing from Burden-on-Trent, England, and an amateur boxing record of 46 wins in 67 bouts. The former English national champion, former great British champion, former Stradza Cup gold medalist, and reigning two times European Union champion, former European Championship silver medalist, soon to be Tokyo Olympian, and still the reigning Commonwealth Games champion, it is Fraser, the Eraser Clark. Right, so I'm here with the big dog of Team GB Boxing. It's Mr. Fraser Clark. How are you doing? I'm all good, you know. I'm wicked, thank you. Tired, tired, been a tough day, but I'm all good. Because you're in camp right now, is that correct, with the GB boys? Yeah, yeah, I'm up in Sheffield. This is where you'll find me most of the time. I've been here forever, so yeah, they, uh, I'm just in camp now with the lads. Okay, that must be quite hard, being a, being a family man as well. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, like, um, I'm very lucky and fortunate that um, my partner... You know, she's brilliant. Um, I have, you know, a daughter from a previous relationship and, you know, she's took her on as her own and she, um, when I, you know, when I'm away and I can't have my daughter, she looks after her. So she's been, she's been around there today. Um, 
I've got a good, a good family that are always always helping out, you know, with looking after my daughter and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I miss them all the time. It's just just one of them things you have to, you have to sort of get used to it because, you know, you make these sacrifices for the right reasons. Um, ultimately, you know, it's to, it's to give us all a better life. So, you know, she has to understand that and the whole family understands it. Well, yeah, no, of course. And I think often for boxers, it can be a life for solitude sometimes. And often the most successful people in, in sport, but particularly in boxing, tend to come from those backgrounds where there's really dedicated long days, long hours. So I can see, and I can see how that can be hard on the family. Um, so I start all these episodes really by talking about how 2020s affected the guests on the whole. So looking at your health and looking at those three elements of that, so physical, mental and social, Describe how 2020 was for you. Um, well, it started off, obviously, you know, it was all full of optimism. We had the Olympic qualifiers. Um, so, you know, it started off, it, it was, in theory, it was supposed to be the best year of my life. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, it, it soon took a downward turn, didn't it? You know, soon, soon spiraled out of control, you know. We got into the lockdown in March and... Um, you know, it, it was you know in in the summer it wasn't too bad. You know the lockdown it was difficult because you know we wanted to go to the Olympics obviously and you know we, we wanted to qualify and whatnot. Um, so it was it's still difficult, but I think the nice weather sort of made it a little bit easier. Do you know like well, yeah, yeah. I spent, you know I turned the garage into a bit of a gym. We do that and I spend uh, most days in the garden um, looking off my. Um, my partner's sister that she lives next door so you know even though we were still social distancing you could have a conversation with you know a couple of other people um because they live next door and stuff you know we'd pull the fence out and just have a chat between us and whatnot um so yeah you know it wasn't it was difficult but um you know i was quite fortunate you know there's some people that were in complete solitude and had no one and you know i really feel for them people but um uh, yeah, like I say, mentally it was tough. It's the longest time I've ever spent in one place, um, ever. You know, like I, I, I'm used to, like you know, obviously being on the squads every week and stuff like that. But yeah, we got through it, and um, you know, brought it, like like for a lot of people, it brought. I think it brought me and uh, me and the family a bit closer together. You know, you know, sometimes when you just want to get away, we, we had no choice. You had to spend the time with each other. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So many of my guests have spoke about the improving of family life and perhaps that work-life balance. And for you, works boxing. So sometimes it can be very easy to get tied down in that very single-minded approach. And it's nice to have that contrast of having that family time, perhaps finding like a new hobby or a new task or something just to take your mind, maybe expand your mind a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's only so many hours of the day you can train. Um you know, I'd, I'd I'd do a run, and then I'd get a training session in the afternoon, and uh, and then you know you got a lot of free time, and there's little bits and bobs around the house to be done. You know, I managed to do the garden up. Um, other than that, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. But I, you know, I'm not really I'm not a gamer or anything like that. So um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time outside. To be honest, just in the like I say, in the garden. Um, we did a lot of long, a lot of walks, a lot of walking, you know, where we could. Um, some nice areas local, so you know we've got some good walks in, a few ten k's and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was just one of them. Um, it was one of them times where 
you know, I really started appreciating what it's like to live a normal life as such and not being in camp every week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know I, I can I can sort of say it's something that was new to me, but it's quite nice to spend that amount of time with your family, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, what was it? Obviously, you could keep your physical fitness quite well, I imagine. You had probably decent weight set up and said so you can go for runs. You may have had a, would you have made a punching bag, etc. But yeah, when you got yeah. when you got back into to camp um, following these lockdowns, did you find it was hard, say, like your reaction times and the actual sparring sessions? Did you feel you dropped off a lot in a sparring sense, even if physically you hadn't? Yeah, it was really difficult because, to be honest, even though I, physically I, I I dropped off as well because you know I, I thought I was doing enough at home. And that's often the case. But, you know, the intensity that we train at up here and, you know, the frequency we train at, um, as much as you try to emulate that at home on your own in your garage, it's just impossible to do. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was it was literally like starting again. Um, I think my body my body was quite happy for the rest. You know, it's been, it's been years and years and years of working hard. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, I think that I think that first lockdown may have done me well, you know, just to... Obviously, I was still training, but just not as as hard as usually you know as usually when I'm with squads but you know I think my body needed that rest to be honest mm. yeah no I, I I agree on a much lower level <clears throat> I had a similar effect yeah having that extra break and then really really help you uh, reset and I think a lot of athletes have spoke about potentially prolonging their careers which when we get on to talking about your career later on it could be quite significant uh, but yeah to so take a slight turn of pace we're going to have a little ice breaking game We've had this going so far, each of my guests, always inspired by something from their uh, their world. Um, and in this case, I was inspired by your alias name off the off the eraser. Uh, so I had the, the idea of the game called On Eraser's Edge, uh, yeah, which was a good, it's a great, great title, we could admit, but I struggled to have a game made up. So instead I've changed it and we've gone with the game, It's a Knockout. So what we're doing here in this quiz, it's a game of higher or lower based on previous uh, major heavyweight title fights around the world. And all I want you to do is tell me if this fight lasted longer or shorter than the previous. Okay. Based on number of rounds. So first up, we have uh, Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz one. Do you know when that was stopped? Yeah. I think was it round? I might be wrong here. Wait, let me get my bearings. <laughs> was it? Was it? Wait. Was it round four? No, I think someone, if I can remember, someone took a knee in the fourth. But I think he went. He went down in the seventh. It was TK in the seventh. Seven, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're starting. We're starting on seven now. So higher or lower? Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas. It's going to test your boxing knowledge, that one. Yeah, uh, higher. That was higher, yeah. That was a big shock by Buster Douglas in the 10th round. Yeah, I remember that. We're on the 10th round now. Higher or lower, Lennox Lewis versus Valtteri Klitschko. Lower. That was lower. That was a sixth round. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Anthony Joshua once again and his big fight against uh, Vladimir Klitschko. Higher. 
that was higher. Yeah, that was in the eleventh. Uh, and <laughs> I might not have names here. So back to Mike Tyson. Uh, Mike Tyson versus Michael Spinks. Lower. That was lower. That was a first round knockout, 91 seconds. I yeah. think it was something like the fourth fastest knockout in uh, uh, title bout history or something. Like that. Uh, yeah, Tyson, Tyson didn't do overtime. <laughs> he, was, he was in a rush to get home, I think. Uh, then we had Mike Tyson once again against Evander Holyfield in 1996. Oh, what was the? Oh, higher, obviously. That was higher. Yeah, that was the eleventh uh, round knockout. Uh, next, over to uh, the Rumble in the Jungle. It's the George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali. Lower. That was lower. That was the eighth round. Uh, then over to another modern one this time, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 2. Lower. That was lower. That was uh, Tyson 1 in the 7th. Yeah. Uh, and then last couple, we've got uh, Cassius Clay versus Sonny Liston in 1964. Oh. Lower. Uh, that was lower, yeah. That was actually the sixth. Well, it was in between the sixth and the seventh. The fight got called off in the uh, in the gap in between. And then finally, uh, one of the very memorable fight in my history, but probably not for the right reasons, David Hay versus Audley Harrison. Oh, definitely lower. That was... Uh, <laughs> I, I watched it I watched it long ago, you know. I watched it on YouTube. Um, nothing happened for a, for a couple of rounds, and then all of a sudden... I think David A just thought, you know what, I'm going to jump on this guy. And it was over in a flash like that. It was, yeah. That was a third round knockout by Hay. Um, I think Audrey Harrison only landed one punch. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he only threw one punch, to be honest. <laughs> he did. And I think that's the second week in a row where I've uh, I've made a reference to Audrey Harrison. Nothing against the bloke. That's complete coincidence. Uh, I'm sure if he, if he has wants to have any words, I'm sure he was in the right. No problems there. Uh, right, so I think you got them all right, actually. Uh, yeah, okay. so, yeah. okay. That's the first first four marks we've had in these quizzes. Okay, so that's the uh, fun and games over. Let's get back to the serious, <laughs> the serious interview at hand. So let's go. Obviously, uh, the Olympics was uh, delayed last year. Um, which obviously is, was terrible for so many athletes, but for someone like you, who's been the nearly man so many times um, and never quite made it to the Olympics, just describe sort of how that felt emotionally and then perhaps kind of how sort of mentally you had to sort of maybe adjust your plans for the next couple of years. Yeah, it was, um, it was gutting, you know, really gutting because... Um, this is the first Olympics that, you know, I was, in, I was in the driving seat, you know, the number one super heavyweight on the squad. And, uh, you know, I was really looking forward to, to the qualifiers and then going on to the Olympic Games. You know, it's been a dream of mine for a long time, as everyone knows. But, you know, the coronavirus came along and it stopped everything, didn't it? So there's not a lot that can be done about it. Um, it was one of them for me where, in hindsight, looking back now, you know, people want to talk about my age and stuff. I think this extra year has done me the world of good. And I think mm. I've really given myself an even better, an even better chance of going to the Olympic games and really, you know, doing well. And yeah, it was like I say, it's just, just really upsetting. 
Yeah, I mean, it's bound to be. And I mean, you had Anthony Joshua in your way in 2012, and then you've had uh, Joe Joyce in your way in 2016. And then finally, 2020 comes around. A little other path was clear for you to go and achieve it all. And uh, COVID was in your way. Uh, but like you said, I, and I agree, I mean, I've, I've seen some of your fights and, I, and I've seen some of your interviews and you seem to be in the right state of mind. And I think that extra year can be so important for so, for so many athletes. Um, and it might take you that one step closer to your dream, which is great. So, I mean, you could be described as the elder statesman of British amateur boxing. You've been around now for about 10 years. But how did that whole journey start for you? That whole journey started, um, like I say, to be honest, I, I was just boxing on my on my club shows. Um, I boxed from my country after five fights. Um, so it was it was really, really quick. I went from um, club boxer to international boxer almost overnight. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it, was diff- it was difficult to get a fight at that time. Obviously, being a young super heavyweight, there wasn't too many about. Um, but yeah, like I say, I went from boxing just in social clubs and then to traveling, you know, around different places around the world with my country really quick. Uh, Box for England in Ireland in a round robin tournament, you know, then I, I won the GB championships. Then I was invited to a, uh, to a trial in Sheffield, you know, um, with a GB squad, which, you know, I came to and, you know, to be honest, I was very unfit. I was just a little kid full of puppy fat and big dreams. Um, I came, I wasn't very optimistic to be honest, but you know, someone seen something they liked and uh, you know, they brought me onto the squad full time. So it was it was time to make a decision. You either I either carried on doing my apprenticeship back at home, which if I'm honest, I, I didn't really enjoy. I, there was a good set of lads there and that was about it. It wasn't for me. I was never an engineer, I was never gonna be an engineer. Mm. Um so then it, like I say, it was an easy decision for me. I think my parents were a bit, you know skeptical about it but I'm one of them people you know I thought you know what I'm going to take this and run with it we'll give it a shot see what happens um, I fell in love with this squad straight away you know tra- travelling the world I'd only been I think I'd only been abroad maybe once maybe twice before that and you know since then I've travelled the whole world I've met amazing lads friends for life great you know great coaches support staff that you know they've become also friends for life um so, you know, I've got no regrets at all. Fantastic. And, I mean, you, you said five fights, but when did you first put the old uh, boxing gloves on? I was 11 when I first went to the gym, yeah. Um, <clears throat> just a bit of a hobby, you know, I think I needed toughening up a bit. Mm. Um, I, need, I also need to lose a bit of weight. So um, I went down there with, with five of my friends and then I think about three or four weeks later, I was the only one left. Um, I, you know, you... People think this is cliche and, and cheesy, but I just fell in love with it. You know, I've got the bug for it really bad. Um, it, it, like I say, I think I, sp- I spoke the other day about it. It was the smells, it was the characters in the gym. I just felt at home straight away. And I felt like, you know, I tried every sport. So I was, I was a fat kid, a really fat kid. So I tried every sport and I felt like this, this is one that, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting better at and progressing. It was nice to have them pats on the back from good coach from you know from my coaches and telling me you know keep doing what you're doing work hard and it, you know it just gave me a mindset and something that I've just carried on with ever since then. Yeah, and obviously you, you took that 
um, obviously natural talent and determination and you took it to the GB program and then you went all the way and you've achieved many things, probably most notably winning the Commonwealth title in 2018. Yeah. So describe uh, sort of how that tournament went for you and then that feeling of winning that first sort of major medal, major gold medal, sorry. You know, it was, oh, oh, like I said, I've been, I've been around the world. I've, I've won loads of gold medals at loads of different tournaments and, you know, the most I can do is a Facebook post or an Instagram post and say, you know, I've, I've been here and I've won this gold medal. People don't really know what's going on, to be honest. You know, they just think, like, a lot of people think that this is still my hobby. You know, when they see me posting about the stranger in Bulgaria or, you know, going to the box I'm in Spain or a multi-nations camp in Kazakhstan, people don't really know what's going on. But Commonwealth Games has a lot of recognition. You know, it was it's well televised and stuff. So, that was the first one I'd say that in my local town, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm really well supported, but I think that was really one that got a bit of national recognition from everyone. Um, and, you know, you start going to other places and people say, oh, Commonwealth gold medalist, Fraser Clark and, and whatnot. So I had really good support. So it was great, great for me, uh, great, great for the family, you know, great for my town and great for the programme, obviously. We went there and, and the team did really well. Yeah, and I mean, you said that was your first major honours, but obviously you've won medals all around the world in various events, like you said, um, including obviously back home, you won the gold in the English Championships in 2015, I think you won gold. 2015, yeah. To yeah. add to your silvers, you'd won in 2012 and 2014. Yeah. And if you, I think one of the reasons why you got that notoriety about it is because there's been a hell of a lot of very successful British champions in the heavyweight division, mm-hmm. the super heavyweight division. So looking at this list I've got in front of me now, some of these names will stand out to people listening. Joe Joyce, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, David Price, Derek Chisora, Audley Harrison. Um, Audley getting his third mention <laughs> on this podcast there. Um, so some really big names, really successful pro boxers. So when it, when a, when a super heavyweight comes along like you, um, I think everyone kind of looks and thinks there's a lot of potential here, and and that must put pressure on you, I suppose, but also must fill you with a lot of confidence so you can achieve a lot in the sport. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I look at them names there, and, and I, I just aim to emulate what a lot of them have done. You know, maybe mm. maybe not all, maybe not Audley. There's his fourth mention, but you know. <laughs> A lot of them guys have, um, you know, gone on to do great things, and I have no shame in saying, you know, I look up to some of them guys, you know, like um, Big Anthony and Joe. That them guys are doing amazing things, and anyone that doesn't want to follow in their footsteps, you, you'd have to be really stupid. Obviously, Tyson Fury, another ruler of the world, and you know, I, my dream is to be just like them. So I'm just gonna. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, I saw this. Uh, you mentioned your Instagram earlier. I saw a great photo of you. I mean, you're in the ring with, I think it was your coaches, and then behind you, you had those photographs on the wall of all the previous medalists. So you had uh, Joe Joyce, Nicola Adams, and... Barazzi. Barazzi, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose, is that one of your big motivators to get your face on that wall at some point? It, that, that's, that is really one of the driving forces. You know, when, when I've been here for this long, obviously being an Olympic medalist or gold medalist even, it, it opens up a lot of doors for you, but you know, one of my small personal victories will be having a picture on that wall in the gym, you know, because I've walked in that gym for 10 years. And I've seen them faces most weeks. 
um, to be up there, you know, that'll just be my own personal little bit of pride. So, yeah, definitely. It's the big motivation. Fantastic. So, so this podcast is about sport, but it's perhaps more importantly about injuries and about recovery and what we can learn from your career and take into other sports. And I would normally ask you quite a straightforward question, like describe some injuries you've had or describe the wear and tear on your body, etc. But uh, from my research and some of the interviews I've heard of you previously, I think that could all be really well uh, described by talking about your experiences at the 2017 European Champs, uh, what happened there and the long-term complications that arose from it. So if we could just describe what happened there and then the long-term repercussions, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it was, um, it was a difficult time. It's uh, one of the biggest lessons in my life I've ever had to face and uh, one of the biggest challenges I've ever had to face. Um, you know, basically, same as any old tournament, you know, lads being lads. It was two days before I was scheduled to box and... Um, we were going to do a little session, just a little sharpening session in one in one of the gyms they provided for us. And um, a few of the lads were having a little kickabout with the football, as you do. There was a football in there. Someone grabbed it and started having a kickabout. You know, before you know it, you've got a bunch of competitive lads having a, having a game of football, a little five-a-side, you know, before just before training. Probably using it as part of the warm-up, to be honest. You know, with no, nothing, no mad challenges and everything like that. Um, and one of the one of the goalposts we used in this gym, we used the bucket. It had some water in it. Um, obviously, someone hit the post. The water had gone onto the floor, and we we hadn't seen it. Um, next thing you know, I was walking backwards. You know, um, just on the pitch, I slipped, and that was it. Um, the worst pain I've ever been in, in my life. Uh, I remember the shock on my face as my coach came over me and. It was that sort of pain that took your breath away, and it really did. It. I was on the floor for a, for a good hour, couldn't move. You know, paramedics, physios all around me, um, and just literally just thinking, you know what? I don't know what I've done, but I know it's serious because I've got a good fr- uh, pain threshold. You know, I'm quite a tough person, and mm. it, it it was just. I mean, I can describe it as the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was a terrible time. You know, we managed to get me up and stuff, get me moving about just about um but I was gutted because you know it was such a big year that was the year of the the obviously the European Championships the World Championships and they were my goals for that year so I was faced with the decision uh, you know do, do you put out the tournament or you know after the amazing care of Ian Gatt and and Sophie that you know they, they were the physios there um Ed um you know the, these people they really did look after me you know and they uh they filled me with painkillers. They strapped me up, and I decided to go and have a go um, at boxing. And you know, I managed I managed to get all the way to the final, literally on one leg. And in just weeks before that tournament, I'd boxed in the World Series boxing. I'd actually uh, broke um, I don't know if you I'd actually broke my hand, I so I needed yeah. an op- I needed an operation on that as well. So I was I was without um, a back leg and a, and a backhand as well. So it was a really difficult one for me. Um, but just, you know, that, that's the kind of person I am. Like, I love I love this game. I love fighting, boxing. Uh, so, you know, I got through it just about. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great example of mental resilience. Um, uh, but, of course, you, you kept that injury and you fought all the way to the gold medal, right? 
Yeah, I lost in I lost in the final to the Ukrainian. Oh, so um, a, a really really good close fight, but a really good fighter. Um, yeah, it was I was disappointed, obviously, but looking back, looking back, considering you know considering the state I was in, um, like I said, after that I was out for a year. You know, I, I, at the time we didn't know the extent of the damage. Um, but actually, a funny, well, not so funny story. We got back, and I was just waiting to come back into camp to get assessed. But um, I was at home one night. I'd been out, and I got out of the car, and I was still, I still had a really bad lead. I knew it was bad, but I thought, you know, I pulled my hamstring. I'm gonna get back to Sheffield. They'll sort me out. I think I was going back in like four or five days. I'd been out one night, and I put, I parked the car up going home, and I parked on a quiet road. And I can remember I got out of the car and I'd slipped over because I couldn't really wait there on my leg. And uh, it was raining and I was just on the floor for about an hour in the in the pouring down rain. I couldn't get up. Luckily, someone came past, you know, and I told him, you know, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to go and this sounds like a very long you're gonna have to go get my mum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, literally my mum came out and this complete stranger. Um, if he ever watches this, thank you, because he, he literally did me uh a really good job. He, uh, they, they managed to chuck me up into the car, and um, I went, I went back to home. I think it was, it was really late, probably gone midnight. I had to make a call to one of the physios and wake him up and say, "Look, I'm in agony. Um, I need something he's doing." Um, the next day, they sent me for a scan, a private scan, and I remember I came out. It was one of them, um, you know, them scans where you go in the machine. Uh, yeah, MRI, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go in the machine, so I was in there. I can remember kept coming out, and um, obviously, there was a lady there. She obviously looks at these things every day, so she sort of knows what she's looking for. And um, I came out, and she looked at me. She goes, She goes, You all right? I goes, Yeah, it was fine. Like I said, I had a good pain threshold, but I was limping all about. She goes, She goes, She goes, She goes, Listen, darling, you've really, really hurt your leg. Um, and I thought, I thought, it can't be that bad. I'm managing to get a bat. Um, she goes, can you just wait outside for me? So I went outside and then I, as I was waiting outside, I received a phone call from the medical team and they told me I needed to get down to London for six o'clock in the evening because I'm going to be going into theatre at um, six o'clock in the morning the next day. Um, yeah. My actual, my hamstring had detached from, you know, the bone, uh, completely snapped in half. Um, and yeah, that was it. That was an operation which went successfully. You know, massive thank you to the doctors down there. Um, and that was me on the injured list for for a year. Well, I mean, it's a great example of mental resilience and having that kind of willpower to carry on and fight through like the pain and fight through the concerns and stuff. Um, and I think you needed to it there, but. What sort of role does this MDT team, so the doctors, physios, um, other medical staff, play at GB Boxing in keeping you guys working all throughout the year? You know, I think they they never get the, the credit they deserve, to be honest, because they're, they are part of a well-oiled machine and, and their job is, they're like, you know, like in factories, the maintenance people, and that's what they are, basically. They're, they're there to keep everyone fit, everyone running, mm. everyone being in a condition to go and compete. Uh, and you know they literally do go above and beyond for us. Um, they're there at the a call, and you know, I'd pr- I'd say pretty much twenty four seven. 
I feel comfortable enough that if I needed one of the doctors or or the any of the you know the staff, I could call them at any time, let them know my problem, and you know they do the best for me. And that you know, like I said, they're selfless people. They do long hours, long shifts. They're away from home just like we are a lot of the time, uh, but they really do give their best for us. And um, you know, big thanks to them. Anyone that's on this squad that's ever been injured, they'll tell you how how passionate they are about you know getting getting the rehab in and making you 100 percent and getting you better and they've certainly done that for me in the past well that's great and it must give you great confidence going into a major competition to have that kind of set up behind you what sort of um well is, is that your worst injury the hamstring have you had any other along the way yeah that was bad obviously the um the hand which i showed you um that was bad too um that that was another once i had my leg operated on and I was going to be out for a year, it, you know, after a couple of conversations, it made sense. The hand needed doing. Um, so um, I had that done in Manchester um, by, what's his name? There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a doctor, basically a surgeon, that he does he does all the hands on all the boxes. And he's okay. really good. Uh, I can't think of his name at the minute, which forgive me for that. Um but yeah, he um, basically this needed to do it as a fusion operation. So they took some bone out of my hip uh, and put it with some screws in my hand, pin my hand. Oh, wow. um, okay. So so I was literally double whammied. I had one leg and one arm um, for 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 months. But they needed doing, and you know, touch wood, they're the right as rain at the minute. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you ever cast a thought to the long term? implications of sort of a high impact sport perhaps on your body obviously I spoke to Ian Gat quite a lot about sort of head injuries um and obviously now you're a family man as well do you ever pay do you ever have to mm. think about some of those long-term problems potentially yeah most definitely um obviously that's part of the reason you have to become good at what you do you know you can't yeah. be taking too many shots to the head I've been doing it for years and um you know, thank God, like I said, we have the medical team in place here and, you know, they, they take every precaution, you know, to check us well. And, you know, we, we have the best doctors um, on hand to ensure that, you know, we're looked after well on, on the side. You know, you get a punch in the head, the head's not designed for that. And you, you big impact on your body, your joints all the time. You know, we're advised well, you know, in, in all our stretches, our rehabilitation, um, we have strength and condition coaches in place, you know, to implement and try and help us be in the uh, be in the best condition to prevent injury. Um, but yeah, on the brain side of things, you don't really want to get hit in the head too much. So it's only a short career, you know. Get in. I'm, I'm treating this treating this career like a bank robbery. Get in, get my money, and get out safe, intact. <laughs> to, to, to you know, to spend spend the rest of my life you know, with my family and enjoying some good times. Well, well, good, yeah. And hopefully you'll pick up, as well as the money, plenty of great memories and success along the way. Has it been hard for you? I'm sure over the years you've had your head turned a few times or people have tried to turn it regarding turning professional. I know you've mentioned an interview, actually, during this pandemic, it's been quite useful to be amateur because you've had that steady income, which because you're not self-employed, you're not relying on fight money. Um, but over the last, say, five years, you must have had opportunities to turn professional. Has it been hard to stick to the Olympic programme? 
Yeah, there's been conversations. There always has been conversations. I was having conversations about turning professional when I was 18 years old. So you know, nothing's really changed there. But um, the thing is for me, you know, when, when you have a goal in place and, and a dream and that dream's within touching distance, each to their own, you know, people people might say, well, you could have had this amount of money now, this amount of money now. I'm, I'm a happy person, you know. I, I, love, I, I love my family and love my friends. I enjoy what I do. People, people seem to think that professional boxing is the be all and end all of, of, of boxing. Boxing, you know, mm. amateur boxing is a massive thing, and to represent your nation at, at Olympic Games or at any tournament, it's a huge honour for me, and I'm, I'm more than proud of that. Um, so, when you know, I hear a lot of nonsense about, oh, you should have turned pro, you should have done this. Unless you've walked my path, please don't tell me what you should, what I should, shouldn't do. I've yeah. already, I'm already, you know, creating a brand for myself. I've, you know, I've got, I've, I'm earning a good living, good, well, good enough for me. I'm not a greedy person. Um, I managed, to, I managed to look after my family with that income, and um, I have a, a dream of mine inside and in in touching distance. You know, if I, if I work hard and, and do what what I know I'm capable of doing, and there's not many people in the world that can say that they've got the opportunity. So, I, I don't really listen to that. You know, I, like I say, I followed my heart. And I followed what I, I've got my own plans for boxing, and you know this this is just part of it. Well, yeah, exactly. And in terms of um, whether, as a professional, whether you whether people go to win titles or to earn money, regardless, actually, there's a lot of benefit to building your CV first. I'm going to tell you that, but you look at someone like Joe Joyce after Olympics, his career was progressed a lot quicker in the professional ranks and say if he'd been a younger boxer about that CV so having that gold medal or silver medal to your name catapults you massively into another stratosphere which having to like like you said you don't want to be grinding away for years getting beaten up by people twice your size or twice your ability that's not really what you want you want to go in there as someone with a great CV so I think you've done the right thing I'm definitely on board and I think if I was in your if I was in your boots, I think it'd be great to win that Olympic medal to have that as that pinnacle for my career. I think if I was in your shoes as well, definitely. It's just one of the things you know I've set out to do, and and you know God willing, I'll do that. But another thing, you know, I see a lot of people turning professional now at twenty years old, twenty one years old, eighteen years old, even. And what you have to really ask yourself is the um, it's in the name professional boxing. I'll be dead honest. At 20, at 18, I wasn't a professional at anything. At 21, I wasn't a professional at anything. I've probably took a bit longer than everyone else, but I'm now 29 years old. I'm now a professional athlete. I know how yeah. to look after myself, how to look after my body, what it takes, what it don't take. When you, so a lot of these young guys, it takes it's very, very rare you get a young, young guy that's disciplined enough and knowledgeable enough to be professional. And it's, it's all in the word. People think professional boxing, I'm a pro boxer, TV, lights, glam, camera, action. I know different. I've been, I've been involved in this game for a long time. I've got good friends that are involved at the top level. So I know the difference between the amateur setup and the even at my level now as an amateur, you've got to be a professional. So when people call me an amateur, I almost take it and sort it. I'm a professional. I train three times a day, five times a week. And I travel the world. This is this is my bread and butter. So professional, it's all in the name. And just just want to any young fighters that are going are turning professional, you need to look at yourself in the mirror first. Are you a professional? 
Are you having the late nights? What you're doing on your weekends? Are you willing to sacrifice everything, you know, to achieve your goals? A lot of people talk about it and say they are, but how many really are? You know, that, that that's that's one of the questions you have to you have to ask yourself. For me, so I'm I wasn't a professional before. So even four years ago after Rio, I wasn't a professional still. It's took time. It's took a long time in the system, and I might be a slow burner compared to everyone else. But I'm now a professional. And I'm ready to go to the Olympic Games as a professional, leave as a professional, and step into the professional ranks a professional. Mm. Well, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a that's that's the perfect mindset. I think for as you say, going into a professional workplace. If if you were outside the world of sport and you were going in to you know I don't know a career in medicine or banking or whatever you want to go in on someone who's got those qualifications they've got stuff under their belt and their experience you don't just go in at the uh the, at the bottom so to speak yeah i agree um and it seems to me someone sitting here that you've taken a lot from some of your predecessors so i feel like some of your mannerisms are quite similar to someone like um anthony joshua do you feel you've learned a lot from him and the way he conducts himself i'm a sponge most definitely um you know and it, like i say it's someone i look up to um, i'm my own person don't get me wrong but he's definitely someone I look to, look up to and I admire. I, I I you can't help but admire when you see what he does. He's he's the um, he's the epitome of a true professional, and I've seen where it's taken him to. So I'd only be a fool not to copy that structure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you if you wanted a blueprint for how to succeed in in boxing, then he's not going to find much better than his. I saw this I've great quote for you. Actually, I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand for years. So. I've got the blueprint, you know. I've got it in here. I've got it in 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 there. I've, I I know what it's going to take, and people wouldn't believe it. People see thirty six minutes of that man fighting. People don't see the mornings. People don't see the lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, yeah, he's got a lot of money, but for twelve weeks of his life at a time, he lives like a man that's got nothing. So. You know, like I say, people people see pro boxing and think there's millions of pounds in it. For certain people, yeah, not for everyone. Um, that's why I want to get it right. I want to crack it right. Get in there. I want to entertain. I love to mm. fight. You know what I mean? That's what I love doing. I'm an entertainer. Always have been. And uh, yeah, he's he's got the model, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna follow it as best as I can. Fantastic. Um, I saw this great quote from you. You said, uh, "We're all very different." You have the fitness machine in Joe Joyce. You have the power athlete in Joshua. But I believe I am a better boxer than both, more of a natural boxer. And I think few people around the world, sorry, I think I think few people around the world's game who've seen us box at the same stage would agree. So, so you, you're clearly quite confident about your abilities. Um, and as you mentioned, potentially turning pro, but how do you really see that playing out over the next few years? If you had like a ideal plan for the next, say, two to three years? Yeah, you know, well, I'm going to go in there a good level, hopefully. Um, I've boxed. People are going to say it's different. But if, if, you know, a lot of people, a lot of professionals now look, look on the amateur game and still think we're, still think we're, we're point scoring tippy-tappy. I can, I, can just, I can just tell them from personal experience that's not what's going on. It's not quite the professional game, but... It, there's a smaller gap to turning professional now than there was 10, 15, 20 years ago. The style's completely changed. Um, the, like I said, the gap's been bridged. Um, 
I know that I've had nine or ten, no, ten, nine and oh WSB fights which, which are similar to pro fights. Like once again, I understand professional boxing is a different game again, and there's gonna be a lot that I need to learn, but I think I'm gonna to take to it like a duck to water from being around these people for years, you know, and I'm in and out of pro gyms now. I work with some great professionals. I speak to a lot of professional coaches. Um, and I'm like I say, I'm a sponge. I'm always I'm always looking at what people are doing. And I take that in. I don't, I'm not just naive to what to, you know, just look and, and not listen. I'm listening all the time. I'm looking all the time. So the next few years for me is going to look like, you know, Olymp- Olympic Games. I'm going for the gold medal. There's nothing else I'm going for. I'll, I'm going to give my all 100%, get qualified first, 100% in that, 100% in the games. Then we're going to go into professional ranks. I don't want to mess around with no four rounders. You know, there's no, it's no point. There's a waste of time for me. I'm going to go yeah. straight into six straight into six rounders. I'm not going to talk about opponents because there's there's people you know that I need to look at. I need to have a look at definitely. But um, I see what's around there now and at the British level, and you know I feel like you know let me just find my feet with a couple of fights and then I can go into you know into step up the levels pretty quickly. Well, great, and that'd be, that'd be great to see. Um, so you mentioned being around some of these top boxers and. Uh, been in that environment. I actually saw going back a few years, you were there for Anthony Joshua's British title fight with Dean White, and you were doing the uh, the old security. What was that like? Yeah, that was you know that was a fantastic time in my life. Um, no regrets on that. Um, the security security alert UK, the company, you know, great friends there. Clifton Mitchell, ex professional boxer, his company. Simon Roberts, he, you know, he runs the company. Um, these are mentors to me. Good people still friends to this day, speak to them all the time. And they're basically, they're seeing a young kid that was probably getting up to us, things he shouldn't be on the weekends, Fridays and Saturday nights. And, you know, they helped me out, put a few quid in my pocket, took me around the country to all the boxing shows. And instead of knocking around on street corners and messing about on the weekend in nightclubs and pubs and whatnot, I was I was, I was was ringside for some of the best fights in, in the country, you know, some of the best fights in the world even. So um, yeah, I had you know massive admiration for them guys, and they did me a huge favour, um, taught me some great lessons, got to see firsthand what was going on on the pro scene. It was a lot different to how I thought it was, um, but a really really val- invaluable experience, and uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's there's a great image of you dressed all in black, and I think. Uh... I think it was the end of one of the was it the end of the first round when Dillian White's entourage entered the uh, mm-hmm. into the ring, yeah. and you're there in your like security attire, kind of holding them back. Um, yeah, I'm sure when if when you do go pro, if you're ever in a major British fight or world fight, or whatever, I thought that image would certainly be uh, dug up again by the broadcasters. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Be. I mean, you know, I'm not there to be. I wasn't there to be a superhero and. I understand, you know, in, in fights, big fights like that, emotions are run high, really high. So, you know, I wasn't there. Like I say, I'm not there to be a superhero. I just wanted. I, I'm I'm a boxing fan first and foremost. Yeah. So to be honest, I, I just didn't want. I just didn't want the referee to call the fight and say, right, you're both disqualified or whatnot. My my uh, intention was get everyone out of the ring as soon as possible and let's let these two carry on because it was building into a great fight. Mm, great stuff. So I think we're going to park the... Uh, actually, no, we've got one more boxing-themed question before we go on to some other interesting things about you. So first of all, can you just give me three names? Um, first of all, the name of the boxer uh, who 
who you've worked with or sparred with who perhaps you're most impressed with or perhaps they say they say the best boxer you've worked with uh, i want the name of uh the best boxer you fought against and then finally can we have someone to watch apart from yourself at the next olympics What was the first one? Someone I've worked with. Yeah, worked with or sparred with. Uh, I'd I'd probably say it's a, it's a, it's a uh, it's going to be a toss up between Anthony Joshua because obviously you've seen what he's gone on to do and he's just a fan, phenomenal athlete and. It's difficult because I've been all around the world. I've sparred some of the best kids. I've been in the gym with some of the best kids. But for me, Joe Joyce was all, always, there's never, you're never an easy day if, you, if you're sparring with Joe Joyce. Mm. Um, fit, strong, tough, you know, and technically not not the best fighter in the world, but he has, he's got the bread and butter, the jabs and the straight shots, the one twos. And, and like I say, he's tough as, as they come, literally. One of the toughest men I've ever I've ever laced a glove on, landed a shot on. So I'd say them two are definitely standouts in the heavyweight division. But that's not to take away from some of these amazing Kazakhstan fighters I've been shared training camps with, Uzbekistan fighters. You know, these are phenomenal athletes as well. Russians, Cubans, um, unbelievable talents. Okay, so then who would you say is the best boxer you've actually fought? Boxer, I've actually fought one. It's difficult because I fought both of them guys I just mentioned, but we'll go for someone yeah. different. Um, I've boxed, I'm going once again, I'm going, I can't just pick one. Sorry, uh, the current world champion, his name is, I'm gonna, he's gonna, he's probably gonna try and kill me when we fight because I'm gonna make, say his name wrong if he ever sees this. But Jalelov of um, he's from Uzbekistan, tall, okay. southpaw. Um, I boxed him and I actually beat him 2014 or 15 and he was only young he hadn't found his power yet or his strength but I could tell he was going to be he was very awkward tall southpaw um, nightmare to anyone who knows boxers you know he sits on the back foot waits waits and waits and waits touches you touches you comes with the, the backhand very difficult style to box against um, and I was very impressed with him other than that um Current uh, Olympic champion, super heavyweight Tony Oka. I boxed him twice. Uh, we're one apiece. You know, we'll definitely be having the trilogy one day as well. Mm -hmm. um, good friend, good friend of mine. Um, but yeah, he, he's really impressive. Great. And then finally, someone from perhaps on the GB team or boxing on the whole, someone to watch at the 2020 Olympics, apart from yourself. <sighs> I can't pick one. I'm sorry. This is just a really talented team. Um, I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Uh, Galau Yafai, um, phenomenal talent. Second Olympics for him. He's already qualified for this one. Um, you know, it's a big thing for him. He's experienced now, strong, fit, and he gives everyone. He's you know, he's beat world champions. He's beat. He's beat everyone. Um, Peter McGrail, another fantastic talent. Uh, he's just got everything. Pat McCormack, world number one at the minute. And then if I'm going to go one more, really stand out, I think Ben Whitaker could really set this Olympics a lot. He's, he's got the flair, 
the boxing skill, the toughness. Um, he can do it all. You know, he he's, he can just adapt to anything. So you know, between him and him and Pat McCormack, Peter and Gillard, is some unbelievable talent. So um, so all of them basically. The so, yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm missing out on good fighters there. Siobhan Clark, you know, another great fighter. It's, it's just, I could, I can just go on. Luke McCormack, you know, these are all experienced fighters, and, and they're really good. But like I say, we're, we're boxing at the highest level now, and there's some really good competitors out there. Like I say, these Russians, Cubans, Uzbekistan's, Kazakhstani fighters—they're serious, serious competition, and. Um, you know, all the lads I mentioned, if if they go to the Olympic Games, anything less than 100%, they'll get beat. It's as simple as that. And, you know, you've got to have the best nine minutes of your life and uh, they're all capable of doing it. It's just, it's just getting it right on that day. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing this Olympic Games and seeing who emerges as those big names for the future. Um, so if we, if we park the boxing to one side just for now, because... Um, you're a very interesting character in general. You've had some amazing stories to suggest that trouble follows you around might be an understatement. Um, uh, but so let's start off with um, obviously quite a sad incident for you. It was just after the birth of, of, of your first child, I think it was, when you had these yeah. in the nightclub. So tell us about that. Yeah, like I say, uh, trouble just seems to follow me, to be honest. Um, yeah, 2016. Tradition, obviously, I, I live in Burton on Trent, and you know, people might call us farmers or whatnot. Uh, we make beer, the town makes beer, everyone likes to drink beer. And if it's a celebration, you better believe that we're having a couple of gold bars, you know, and we're going to be uh, chucking them down. So that's what was happening. Um, celebrating the life of my daughter, she'd just been born, uh, wetting the baby's head. Just went to a local, local club and We'd, everyone was half cooked by this point. As soon as I walked in there, I could, I could sense a bit of an atmosphere. Seeing seeing a, a bunch of lads that, you know, I know them. They're just from down the road. I know of them, sort of, and could sense an atmosphere. But to be honest, all night I stayed away from them. Then last last probably half an hour of the club, we we bumped into each other. Something happened. I, I'm not quite sure. You know, so there's a bit of an altercation and. We started fighting, or what I thought was fighting, me fighting with a few of them. Um, during that, you know, probably 30, 40 seconds of, of madness, you know, I'm, anyone that's watching this and knows how it gets, you know, when you're out there and people are drunk, and that, the, the tables are going, the bottles are going, the chairs are going and whatnot. There's, I'm throwing punches all over the place, just one of them things. Um, but during that, obviously my adrenaline, so I didn't really, I then went outside and I and I seen I seen a familiar face, a, a girl that I know from from my town, and she just started screaming. I just think, what's going on? Um, she said, "Your neck." I've I've put my hand up. As I as I'm putting my hand up, I can the blood just squirted out onto onto my uh, onto my hands. You know, I thought, oh god, what's happened here? Um, I'd been stabbed uh, in the neck and twice in the leg. Um, unfortunate incident. Like I say. Uh, you know, like I say, it's just one of them things that I regret. I wish I wish I never went out that night. I learned a lot from it. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a completely innocent party. 
I was I was I was in the wrong place doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. You know, I had a bit of an ego about me. So I'm not saying I deserve to be stabbed because I think it's terrible. You know, I think I think people need to to realise it's people's lives that they're playing with. That would have left my daughter without a father. You know, my mother would have lost her son. My dad, my father lost his son and stuff like that. So I'm a brother, you know, I'm a family man. Um, so these knives, you know, people need to think twice and really put them down. But just one of them things that happened, you know, like I say, um, unfortunate, but I've learned from it and I've moved on from it. Yeah, and how, how did that, obviously it was a horrible event for you and your family anyway, but in terms of from a performance point of view, how did you recover? Did you did you get back quite quickly to fighting? Um yeah, you know, like I said, once again, the doctor did a great, a great, great job on me. I think I think I had like uh, some internal stitching on my neck, and then I had to get cut open. I had, I had like a long scar from like probably like five or six inches long down the side of my neck um, that was stitched up as well. They, they obviously look, thank God, and touch wood, and luckily, you know, they missed anything major arteries. So my um, my my leg was 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 the real the real thing that really hurt. Um, it took me took me probably a month to get over it. You know, a lot of rest and stuff because there was tissue damage. Um, but once again, you know, I explain my situation to these um, to the medical team up here that must be absolutely sick of me, by the way. But <laughs> um, but yeah, um, between them and performance director Robert Kraken, you know, he's he's a wise person. He's 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 lived his life, you know, before and. You know, give me some good words of advice, and I've listened to him ever since. To be honest, and you know, there's been no similar incidents occur ever since that, that moment. To be honest, and I mean, obviously, it's a tricky one, but obviously, you regretted going out in the first place. But do do you regret at all, sort of getting involved in that altercation? Have you learned perhaps could you have walked away? Could you have uh, changed your behaviour in the night, or is it something like you said, it's just out of your control? Yeah. I think it that it's one of them things. It happens so quickly that it's just an occasion. But you know, I've grown up, and I've, I've, I'm, you know, I openly say I've, I've been a bit of a boy when I was younger. I've been in fights. I've been in loads of fights with with my friends and stuff like that, and, and other groups of people. It's just one of them things that young lads used to go up to. Um, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I obviously missed the memo. I didn't know that's what people were on in our days. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know. In my little town of Burton on Trent, the most that ever happened is a couple of punches, a bit of a swing up, probably go down the cherry orchards and have a straightener after the club or whatnot, and and that's it. It's done with. I didn't know that that's the the, the new type of uh, thing. You know, people carry knives and, and want to stick them into people. I must have missed that memo, but um, yeah, just I, I couldn't. I probably could avoid it anyway. I could avoid it. It's not go out. I shouldn't have drank so much. I was pissed up. Um, I probably, I probably would have walked away then. But um, I'm a fighter, on. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, yeah. If, if, if people front me, the top and bottom of it is, I don't, I, I don't back down from no one, not no one on this planet. I, I'm confident in myself, and don't matter who you are. If, 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 if people, you know, obviously I've learned my lesson now. But back then, if people wanted to have a go with me, you know, just bring it on, sort of thing. Well, yeah, and I suppose you got that target on your back because people see you. So you're from a small town. People see you as uh, you're you're famous in your town. They know you as uh, 
the boxer. So if they can get one over on you, or well, they think they can, I suppose you're more of a target than the average yeah, Joe, perhaps. It's just, yeah, people think like it's just stupidness because I'm a human being. Like yeah. I said, I've got a family and anyone that carries a knife around and thinks it's cool, you know, they listen to to um, listen to this music and, and, and these other people's lives and the way they talk about it and think we need to do that to be cool. They're just pathetic and stupid. Um, when you're playing with human life, it's different. So keep keep your knife to yourself, keep your hands to yourself. Worst comes to worst, get yourself down a boxing club. Invite the person you've got a problem with down there. Speak to the coaches. Do it. Do it. Do a few weeks of lessons and learn how to control your anger and control how to fight. I'm sure they'll let you have a spar with each other and sort your differences out. Yeah, great. There's um, there's an organisation I might put you in touch with. Actually, they're called uh, Still Warriors. So I had um, I had a guest on a few weeks ago. Her name was Simone Ming, who's like a calisthenics person. Uh, she was a world champion as well. And what they do is they take uh, seize knives from the police and they melt them down to make gym equipment. And it's all about really? putting like putting um, said those those knives to good use, if you like, and giving back to the community mm. and giving people an opportunity through sport and perhaps, you know, in your case, through boxing, just to perhaps turn their lives around and and rehabilitate themselves. I only think them knives are good for, mate, is chopping up a nice fillet steak and nothing else. That's uh, it. Agreed. Very good. Okay, so uh, if that wasn't one, if, if one incident wasn't bad enough, uh, I think it was uh, the next year, he then had another altercation um, in Westminster. I'll tell you exactly what it was. The 23rd of March, 2017. Okay, and what went down then? Oh, this, 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 one, this one really does top it for me. Um, normal, normal routine. I was, I was fighting in London at the, the York or in the World Series of Boxing. Um, bit of a press, press day, press conference sort of thing in Westminster. A lovely place, by the way. Somewhere I've never been, somewhere I was wanting to go. So, you know, I was in there doing our usual thing. Me and a few of the lads having a look around, as you do. The interviews had finished and whatnot. So we're making our way back to the team bus to take us back to the hotel. Um, I couldn't remember there's like a big art gallery. Well, it was like an, not an art gallery, but there's a lot of art in, 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 this, in this hall. And we're walking out, as we walk out, I'm with two teammates, Callum French, Pat McCormack. I hear a loud crash and a bang and a scream. Uh, there's a hedgerow probably 30, 40 metres in front of us. It's on the other side of that. I think, what's that? Then I think, obviously, you're in London. There's been a car crash. Someone's been hurt. There's a scream. thought nothing too much of it, to be honest. I could hear, you know, I thought people would be going to there, a few sirens and whatnot. And then after veer off to my left, I start walking up towards the gate where the coaches. Um, I see people running. But once again, I'm in London. I don't think too much of it. London, everyone runs in London. Everyone's in a rush. Yeah. So I think so. People are running, running past me, running here and running there. Nothing of it. I'm still walking there. We're just having a crack. Then, this is obviously you know we're really laid back people. We're boxers. We're relaxed. A police officer even runs past me. A few police officers running past, nothing of it. Then I look up and there was a um, a guy came around the corner 
bearing two Rambo style knives. Um, he was attacking a police officer. He got tanked. The police officer was trying to run away, sort of thing, but he got tangled up with this fella. Um, yeah, and he was repeatedly stabbing him anywhere he could back, neck, head. Then uh, the police officer managed to break free and, 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 and run down. I can remember at this point, I'd already I'd backed off a bit. The police officer ran down, he, just, he fell on the floor, literally probably a metre and a half, two metres away from me. Then out of nowhere, another guy come, all in black, plain clothes, just pulled out, his, uh, pulled out his gun and just bang, bang. Two shots straight in the guy's chest. Um, yeah, he was down, he was, he was dead. You know, one of my coaches, Tony Davis, was trying to resuscitate the police officer. Um, really sad day. And then, we sort of got pushed back into the hall at this point. Um, it was there's a bit of panic everywhere because at this point I didn't know that there'd been the terrorist attack on the bridge and everyone had been run over and lots of people have been killed. Hmm. Um, so we got locked in there, and um, then then it's just something like out of a film, you know, armed armed people are coming in, everyone's on, we're all on the floor. Um, I'm panicking. I don't know who's around. My pe- I'm in touch with my parents. Then, then my phone's gone off. Um, obviously, from the news on 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 the phones in our days, you know, straight away we find out what had happened on the bridge, and you just realise you're in the middle of a terrorist attack. Um, we're in Westminster. I'm panicking. I don't know if the building's going to blow up. I don't know who's about. I don't know what's going to go on. It's just a bit of a traumatic experience, to be honest. Yeah, and if, and I'm right in thinking you had a fight the next day. Is that right? Yeah, we we was like I say that was the uh, the day before the fight, so it was it wasn't ideal preparation. No, but you you still fought. Yeah, we uh, we made a decision between us. We still went to fight. We trained off for the fight, and you know I think a lot of us wanted to honor our fight. You know, to to the people that you know suddenly lost their life on that day. Um, and the families, and, and we still did that. And um, yeah, I won, I won my fight, and it was a good night all around, but it was a, just a terrible event and tragic circumstances. Horrendous, horrendous incident. Um, um, you know, like once again, I thank God that, you know, I was I was lucky enough to come out unharmed, just, just a few emotional, you know, scars and stuff like that. You know, things that you can't really unsee, but, you know, I, I've sort of, like once, once again, I've had, I've had good people around me, and it's just something that's it's just a distant memory now. Yeah, I know. Um, obviously, dreadful, dreadful event for all involved, and potentially one that could completely derail your career, like the mental and psychological effects mm-hmm. that could could have come from that. But obviously, a year later, you end up winning the Commonwealth Gold, so you got back on track, which is great. Um, and I'm sure one day you're going to write a great autobiography because you've got some head of us, some great stories from that, uh, yeah. from that journey. So a few chapters based on that. So to finish on a slightly lighter note, can you just give me perhaps one or two of those key highlights you'd say from your career? I think, I think, you know, coming onto the GB squad was a big moment for me. Um, a little fat lad from Burton on Trent I don't think anyone thought I was going to be going to be a boxer or turn out a fighter. To be honest, apart from you know my, my grandma when I was born, she you know she said I was going to be a tough lad. Um, but other than that, 
you know, I don't think anyone thought I was going to be a boxer. That wasn't going to be my career. So that was a massive moment for me getting onto GB and, you know, getting the tracksuit and being able to represent my country all the time, not just boxing for England and the other time, being part of the national team. That was a huge honour. Um, national title 2015. Every every boxer wants to win their senior elites. You know, it's just it's one of the things, like I said, the ABA is a massive thing. And unfortunately, I think it's losing its... Um, it's losing its sort of honour, uh, if that, that's probably not the right word. It's not getting the recognition that, you know, mm. that it, what it once got. It's not the tournament it once was, but it's a huge honour for any boxer to, you know, to be the national champion. So that was massive for me. Not just massive for me. I, my, you know, my coach, Richard Joyce, and, and everyone from my club, that was so big for them. And that club, literally, you know, they, they put on the journey I'm on today. So I just... I just felt like it was it was so huge to give that back to them. And they, they, they had the first national champion for years. And like I said, the Commonwealth Games just speaks for itself. It was, it was just massive for me, massive for my family and the town of Burton on Trent. So, um, yeah, I was, really, I was really proud of that. Them three things really do stick out for me. Yeah, no, all, um, all obviously fantastic moments. Um, so normally we finish with what I call any other business. So it's a great chance for my guests to talk about anything they want from the world of sport or the world on the whole. So anything that springs to mind for you? Um, I just like everyone's support on the, on, on the build up to the, the Olympic games for me, really, you know, um, and my pro career going forward, people will think people have their opinions about my age, about this and that, but, Get behind me. I'm not a bad person. I entertain you all definitely. I'll definitely do that. Yeah. Um, other other than that, I'm I'm just involved. If people go to my Instagram at Big Phrase Boxer, I mean I've just got involved with someone I've been working on the last few weeks. Um, myself and one of my sponsors, Three Spires Safety, we've um, we've started a project. Um, basically, we're trying to fight climate change. At the minute, we're trying to rise. We're trying to raise five thousand pound for the the Cool Earth foundation and they you know they try and um they try and help the environment so mm. we're, we're currently doing that you know trying to reduce emissions and stuff like that uh, the co2 emissions by planting trees and you know but at the minute we you know any donations towards that will be you know muchly appreciated because they're doing a massive and amazing job and you know I'm not, I'm not quite up to scratch with where i need to be yet but i'm slowly learning and um it's you know, it's, it's quite astonishing what's going on in this world. So I think not just my fight in boxing, I think climate changes could be in the next few years, you know, a fight that we've all got on our hands and I want my kids to grow up in a nice world. So I think we should all start doing our bit. Yeah, no, uh, that's, a, that's a great point. And it's a very, probably a little by surprise. I wasn't expecting you to say that, but you know, so what was the motivation no, I, I, behind that? A lot of people have been surprised. I was just having a conversation with, obviously, my um, sponsor, Three Fire Safety. They're already involved in wind power energy, renewable energy. Okay. So I um, was, was having a chat one day and, you know, it, we come up on the topic of it and, and he told me what's happening. And obviously me being from a brewing town and, you know, obviously there's a lot of emissions that go up in, in, into the atmosphere from, from the factories and stuff in my town. And um, basically we, we spoke about, the uh, the CO two being used being recycled, 
you know, there's this the thing, the machines out there now that you know, don't get me wrong, there there are a lot of money, and you know, I'm talking long long way down the line, but you can sort of take the the CO two out out of the uh, atmosphere and reuse it as energy. Um, yeah. all, all the deforestation and stuff in the world, you know, these these trees literally are the lungs of this earth, and they're um, they take in the CO O two and stuff like that, and I just, you know, he started talking about climate change and, you know, the the, um, the mountain of glaciers and stuff like that. Um, and I just thought, you know, he's having a kid, I'm having a kid, and I want my kid to grow up in 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 a, in, a, in the best world it can grow up in. Do you know what I mean? My kids, both of them. So I'm not I'm not saying I'm not David Attenborough. I'm not going to change the world, but I feel like if everyone starts doing their little bit, and like you say, I'm still getting, like as you can see, I'm still getting the knowledge, but I'm learning slowly and slowly. Obviously, I'm recycling all my plastic and stuff like that. Um, I just feel like it's something that is so easy to do. And if everyone does their bit, maybe we can make some improvements. Well, yeah. And do you have the the platform to do so? Particularly in this year, the Olympic year, you're more and more publicity. So, yeah, there's no reason why you couldn't can't spread that message of positivity and improving climate change and you look at some countries like what what iceland are doing like you mentioned with co2 like iceland are putting co2 back into the ground i think they're the first country to be completely carbon neutral i mean that was announced a couple of years ago so yeah i mean there's no reason why if more people like you can't spread this message we can't improve the climate for sure yeah like i say i'm I'm not going to change the world but I'm i'm going to try and do my bit something that i've set myself a little goal for this year and you know outside of boxing I want to learn more about the environment and ultimately I want to help local people learn more, local children learn more and, you know, try and teach the next generation, you know, how, how they can save this planet. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's it from me, to be honest. Well, yeah. And there's something, yeah. And there's something really fantastic about having sportsmen of all types, having more about them than just the sport. And we've seen that like the praise of people like Marcus Rashford have had in recent months. And I mean, we had the generation of characters back in like the seventies and eighties. And then we've had what I'd call like this sort of sterilized generation. So like sort of in the nineties yeah. and the, the last decade where everyone's becomes very similar, like interviews are the same, social media is the same, uh, you know, and it's great if you can have people who can make positive changes or just give interesting interviews and just, yeah, really have more about them than just being an athlete. And yeah, I can only, I can only add strings to your bow. I just feel like we can all do more. I mean, you know, I wouldn't know how to grow a carrot from a parsnip, but you know, I, I can learn. We have we have all the right means to learn. You know, we're all on this, we're all on our phones long enough for each day. And I just feel like if you, you know, if you can't give yourself half an hour a day of trying to broaden your horizons and learn something new that that will positively affect the environment and the people around you, the world we live in. And you know, you need to have a look at it. I was a bit disappointed to be honest. Uh, I posted it last night, sort of launched it last night uh, on my Instagram, and I didn't get I didn't get the, the response that I wanted. If I'm honest, I didn't get many uh, shares or followers. But if I'd have posted an, a brand new a new watch, a new Rolex watch, or a new a new pair of Gucci trainers, um, you know, myself in a new car you get you get all these thousands of likes and i'm not here fishing for likes i'm just fishing for awareness so you know anyone that does see this any other you know sporting people or 
you know, Bill from down the road, if you can share it and get the word about and click on the link, you know, and have a little read and you'll understand what we're trying to do. Non This is non-profit. I'm not trying to get any money out of it. I'm not trying to be a do-gooder. I just, like I said, I think I can use my platform to do a little bit of good in this world. And this year, especially, and the last, you know, last year, I think if we all do that, then, you know, it takes everyone's mind off the COVID situation and we just try and do a little bit better for each other. Great stuff. I will definitely go and check that out after this. Just remind everyone where they can check you out on socials. I'm at Big Phrase Boxer on Instagram or Big at Big Phrase at Big Phrase Boxer on Twitter, Fraser Clark on Facebook, and um, enjoy the journey, guys, because it's going to be a good one. That's great. Yeah, I'll add all those links to the Instagram uh, at Hips underscore and underscore Dips, so you can go there for more information on Fraser and all my previous guests. Uh, so all that leads me to say is thanks for joining me. Uh, I think it's been a great, great chat, a great interview, great insights and best of luck to the Olympics and the journey beyond. Take care. Thank you very much for having me. A very insightful interview from a very inspirational man in Fraser Clark. It's amazing to think how different that narrative may be if this interview was at a different stage of his life. Pre-injury or terrorist attack, I may have found a man who was less assured and professional about his approach in boxing. Pre-Commonwealth Games success, Fraser may have been less confident that he was capable of stepping out of his predecessor's shadows. Sit down with him in six months and he could be an Olympic champion. Give it two years, maybe a British belt holder. And who knows, maybe one day a world heavyweight champion. It's quite an interesting thought that ahead of London 2012, someone would have interviewed Anthony Joshua. At some point during his early career, someone would have interviewed David Beckham. And I'm sure someone for the high school newspaper probably interviewed Tom Brady. Um, and you never know, this interview one day may be off a future great boxer in Fraser Clark. Remember to check out the social media, which is at Big Phrase Boxer and at Hips underscore and underscore Dips with a Z uh, for more details on Fraser and all of my previous guests. Now, I would once again like to finish this episode with one of my now infamous rants. This week's spotlight falls on rugby union and especially the Six Nations. I feel rugby has been a classic example of giving an inch and people taking a mile. Teams making bold statements at the start of the tournament, with each nation trying to one-up each other about how COVID secure their bubbles are. With examples such as the England team having each of their players locked in an individual room for the majority of the day, and the French team standing awkwardly socially distanced for each of the anthems. And for the first couple of weeks, I really bought into this position, constantly defending the sport in family debates, saying that playing this tournament is very important for the nation's mental health, and providing structure to people's weeks, as well as fueling a very important sense of patriotism. But it somewhat weakens its position when you switch on the TV at the weekend to see Stuart Hogg, captain of Scotland, playing for his club in Exeter, and Salupe Falatau from Wales playing for Bath. I've never claimed to be a bubble expert, but I feel leaving a bubble to travel across a border, which by the way, us normal folk aren't able to do, to then join a new bubble for a couple of days before returning to the original said bubble 
somewhat weakens the structural integrity of that bubble. If this wasn't bad enough, the England boys were allowed to go home to visit their families uh, during those fellow weeks. And, and that, for me, somewhat neglects the whole separate room plan. And then to cap it off this week, the French team have had positive COVID tests for 10 players, as well as three members of staff, including the head coach, Fabien Gautier. I know what you're thinking. That seems like quite a large outbreak for such a watertight, foolproof COVID bubble. Well, images emerge this week showing the wild celebrations in the changing rooms following their win over Ireland. Lots of players who weren't even in the match day 23, as well as coaches and physios, etc., throwing champagne and jumping around the changing rooms without a mask to be seen in sight. I don't really mind if the Six Nations come out and make a statement saying our players are above the law. They're better than normal people, so they can do what they want. I don't really mind that. I'm just a little bit aggravated by what I find are pointless gestures. For example, subs sitting there wearing masks, uh, socially distanced anthems, despite immediately after the anthem having a massive huddle and these ridiculous changing room celebrations. Oh, and another thing I said earlier about giving an inch and taking a mile. This year, for me, is all about compromise in all aspects of life. But sometimes it feels elite sport has forgotten that. A year ago, there was no sport. But quite rightly, sport was reinstated because of the benefit it has for spectators and inspiring people's mental and physical health. But it feels like uh, getting Premier League football and Premiership rugby back was necessity, and that worked very well. But suddenly, it's also become necessity to have the League Cup, Champions League, Europa League, Champions Cup rugby, Nations Cup football, Challenge Cup rugby, uh, international football friendlies, and to cap it all off, a FIFA Club World Cup. Um, it just seems like you know, there are, there are benefits to having sport back. Yes, that's a given. But do we need to have every single facet of sport back the same way it was? It just seems like having players travelling from every continent in the world to play in a pretty meaningless tournament, which is basically there to provide more and more money for sponsorship contracts, seems like it's not really necess- a necessity. I think a compromise should have been recognised by all. But oh well, the end is in sight, and not just for this episode, but for the COVID pandemic. So thank you for joining me for another episode of Hips and Dips. Remember, stay hungry, stay professional, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.